God, we come here hoping for a glimpse of your reckless, dangerous love. And we come here hoping that through studying your word, we would find that your love changes us and helps us understand better who we are and who you are. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, shed light on your word that we might leave different than we came. In Jesus' name, amen. I was recently watching a really good TV program about the Great Rift Valley in Africa. Did anybody see this? Anyone? Documentary? Oh, so good. And so I watched this, and it had nature in its true glory. I watched as they showed the intricate interactions of animals, the order of things that provides for survival in the middle of this wilderness place. It showed the plentiful water that allowed for continued regeneration and renewal in such a dry place. I watched as monkeys picked fleas off each other for the purposes of hygiene, but also, interestingly, for the purposes of showing love to each other. So there's a Valentine's idea for you. Um, I watched birds migrating, hippos eating grass with their hoover-like mouths, even... um, cheetahs sprinting for their dinner, and my favorite was a time-elapse shot of green little shoots of grass growing up as soon as rain came. With my head full of wonder at this glory of creation that seems so far away, so different from here, I was walking through Belfast and came across a desert in the middle of the city center. Actually, it was a display for Esprit, the store across from the city hall. And if you go by that display, you look up and you see this huge picture of a desert scene. And you've got these incredibly desert chic cutout, cardboard cutout people who are standing in front of this desert scene looking really stylish. And you have even, um, oh, the worst part were these tumbleweeds that were actually in the display that I'm sure are polystyrene molded and spray-painted to look exactly like real tumbleweeds. Um, But apparently, according to this store, if you have the cute little cargo skirt and the right shirt, um, you could have your own wilderness experience really easily. So something to consider. But um, it would be kind of nice because you also, if you get really um, thirsty... I'm sure you have a bottle of Perrier somewhere nearby, and there are toilets close. Um, No hippos, no cheetahs, no blades of grass, no monkeys picking things off each other, but a lot of really stylish people, and for the right price, you could have a wilderness experience. Now, Jesus was not in this sort of wilderness at all. He was much closer to the first one. Our text tonight is about a real wilderness, and Jesus had no bottles of Perrier or energy bars to keep him going. He was famished. This story is one that's probably familiar to you. It's one that's common to be used at the beginning of Lent, which starts next Wednesday. It's that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. But he was not led into the wilderness by the devil. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He had just been baptized. He was about 30, and the text says that he had already begun his work. 
This wasn't his final exam before he could graduate as son of God and get his diploma and begin his ministry. This was his ministry. He was full of the Holy Spirit and led by that spirit to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Already having endured 40 days of temptation with no food, apparently, Jesus was now at the end of his rope. He was tired. He was hot. He was hungry. And somehow he was also the son of God. His conversation with the devil begins with the devil saying, If you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. In Greek, this if is actually stronger than you might think. It actually means since. So the devil says, since you are the son of God. So it's actually that the devil is acknowledging Jesus as the son of God, but curious what it is he's going to do with that power and authority. The first temptation is the most basic Jesus is starving, and the devil offers him food. If only he will grab the nearest stone, do an easy little magic spell Harry Potter would know, and he would have bread. The next temptation is just as lucrative. The devil shows him what, in the original language, is all the inhabited kingdoms of the world at the current time. It's kind of funny. All Jesus has to do is fall down in front of the devil, and he is really tired. He's probably falling down anyway. Fall down at his feet. Worship him, and he'll have it all. Well, he'll have sort of it all. Notice that the devil can't really offer it all. All that he offers, all the power he offers is earthly power. He doesn't have the power of the kingdom of God to offer Jesus. But nonetheless, power is persuasive, and so Jesus could easily have caved. And then we come to the final temptation, the most crafty and cunning of them all. The devil twists scripture and says that Jesus should throw himself off the top of the temple, a very significant place, and prove that he really has the power of the Son of God. The devil tells him that, as it says in Psalm 91, angels will be sent to pick him up so that he won't dash his foot against a stone. Jesus' response to the devil is fascinating. One of my seminary professors, Walter Brueggemann, wrote about this saying that Jesus is confronted by the devil and is tempted three times. Each time, invited to act in obedience to the devil and thereby forsake his own vocation and identity. Each time Jesus responds to the devil to resist the denial and to refuse obedience, he does so with a quote from Deuteronomy. Jesus is equipped with a scroll, which is Deuteronomy, as his only and adequate defense against the seduction of the devil. The scroll is adequate. Brueggemann says, there are, of course, all kinds of dangers in this claim. Dangers of oppressive literalism and bibliolatry, which is a new word maybe, making an idol out of the Bible. These dangers, however, do not detract from the main positive point. Children of this text find the text to be an adequate place 
from which to muster an alternative existence in the world and challenge against whatever the powers may be. This alternative existence is what Jesus is defining in his responses to the devil. He's using scripture to speak of a new reality to the reality offered by the devil, to the reality of immediate gratification of having bread instantly. He says, one does not live by bread alone. To the reality of earthly power and glory, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. To the reality of testing God through destruction, Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus was able to recognize that the devil was using scripture as a means of destruction not as a means to speak to a new and alternative reality. The devil was using scripture against the person and work of Jesus in an attempt to destroy him and his mission. Jesus was using scripture not as a destructive force, but as a constructive force to construct a new reality of the kingdom of God where instant gratification Political and financial power and destruction are surpassed. It's interesting that the Greek word for devil means slanderer, for that's exactly what he does. The devil is slandering the word of God to use it as a tool for destruction. And Jesus stops it by not using the word as a weapon, but instead using the word as a beacon of an alternative existence that is beyond the devil's power. Now, scripture does talk a bit about connecting a sword, one of our songs did, a sword with scripture. Um, It's kind of interesting, though. It doesn't ever say that the word is a sword. We have um, Ephesians, talks about the sword of the spirit, which is different than just any old sword. And then we have Um, Hebrews talks about how the word is sharper than a double-edged sword. So this word is beyond any weapon. The time Jesus spent in the wilderness, wrestling against powers of darkness that were coercive and manipulative, claiming and embracing his identity as God's son, were incredibly formative to his ministry and vocation. For this time he spent in the wilderness was the beginning of his calling. And if the Son of God needed a time to reflect on issues of life and death, a time to claim his identity as a child of God in the midst of destructive power, a time to examine scripture and how it shapes a new reality, a time in the wilderness to prepare for what was to come, why would we think that we don't. Protestant, Catholic, whatever, we all need Lent. We are called not by the devil, but by the Spirit to a place of wilderness, a place where we prepare for the reality of the cross and the resurrection. We are called to look at ideas of self-sacrifice, ideas of self-denial, and to have a renewed commitment to studying God's word. We are called to use the word of God 
not as the slanderer uses it, not as a weapon of destruction and dehumanization against people who are different than us, but as a beacon that shines the new reality of the kingdom of God, a kingdom where justice, peace, and mercy reign. This preparation should involve the stripping away of those things that are just too tempting. Materialism, legalism, coercive power, overconsumption, and individualism are just a few, but I would imagine we can all think of the things that tempt us most. It should also involve letting the word of God construct new realities within and beyond us. It involves a renewed understanding of prayer, of study, of generosity, and prophetic challenge to the powers that be. We are called to the wilderness. We are called to this place where we can clearly see the difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God, where we can participate in the inbreaking of God into the world now. This wilderness means that we can't just go about doing what we want, spending what we want, consuming what we want, and assume that because we are Christians, it's ordained by God. This wilderness means that we can't use God's word as a weapon of destruction, but that we should use it instead to construct a new existence of justice and community. This wilderness means that we can't baptize the powers of this world with God's blessing just because we might benefit financially or otherwise from them. This wilderness means that we are not entitled to slander God's word in ways that make us always right in the reading of it and them always wrong in the reading of it. This wilderness means that we do not live by bread alone, that there are powers greater than the powers of the kingdoms and the systems of this world, that God can be trusted in the most trying of times, even if we don't understand God, that what we see is not all there is, that God's word is mighty and powerful but must be used to create and not destroy, that a cross and resurrection are coming, but that we need to prepare for that experience. So let us embrace Lent, this wilderness time, confident that the Spirit leads us and goes with us and that we go with one another. Amen. Please join me in prayer again. God, we open ourselves to your calling of us into the wilderness. And as we do it, our knees shake and we get nervous and we get afraid of what that means we'll have to let go of. But God, we know that just as you were with Jesus, just as the word was his guide, we know that we have your word as our guide. We know that your power is greater than any other power we face. So we pray, O God, that you would give us the courage to look for times in the wilderness in our own lives, times where we may not be surrounded by cheetahs and hippos and tumbleweeds, but times where we might feel completely lost. 
And we offer you those times, God, because we are aware that these are the times in which you shape who we are. You define who we are. So we offer you our lives, God, especially those wilderness times, as you would guide us in the promise of a new beginning, the promise of a resurrection, the promise of a new life that will never end. So guide us and use us in this time. Give us the courage and the patience to wait for you. Strip back our individualism and our need to always be right and fill us instead with an understanding of your radical picture of community in your world. So we pray that you would guide us, that you would use us, that your word would transform us inside and out. In Jesus' name, amen.